can have a seat. Uh, my name is Fred. I get to be the lead pastor here, and I'm uh, so glad that we get to be together again. And um, I've been praying for today's message for quite a few reasons, but here is what I've been uh, praying the most for, I guess would be a good way to say it is I've been praying that we will all, whether you're here in person or whether you're watching online or listening later, I pray that we will all humble our hearts. And we will all humble ourselves to the Word of God. And let God speak to each of us in a way that only the Holy Spirit can. And that we all leave our time together different than we came in. Right? Not because... You have something to do, right? But because you have met with and you have experienced and you have heard from the God of the universe. And he will comfort you and convict you and encourage you in a way that only he can. That's been my prayer for us. And so with that, so with that, I want you to open your Bible to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Um, if if uh, you have your Bible, you can open to Ecclesiastes chapter 5 in the Old Testament. If uh, you don't, you can grab your phone, and um, there's lots of apps. You can, you can turn on your Bible and, and go there. And today we're going to do uh, the end of chapter 5 and all of chapter 6. And as you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. <clears throat> How many of you uh, keep hearing about boycotts lately? Right? Anybody hear about boycotts lately? Like, like, just in the past, like, four to six weeks, like May and June, listen to, to just some of the boycotts that I've heard that, that I, as a Christian, I, as a Christian evangelical, need to boycott. First, there's Target, right? Like, that got lots of press. Did y'all hear about the Target boycott, right? Lots of press on that one. Um, uh, the Dodgers, did you hear about that one? Not a problem for me. I'm not a fan of baseball or the Dodgers in particularly. So, so there's that one. Coles. Supposed to boycott Coles. Um, then, then the boycotters, whoever they are, got real close to us. Because we're supposed to boycott Chick-fil-A. Right? How many are like, nah, never mind at that point, right? And, and... This is something I heard about like three weeks ago. The Chosen series is up next on the boycott. And then the Daily Wire, for those of you who follow that. Like, like any of this stuff, have you heard of any of these boycotts lately? Let me ask you another question. As you hear about this, particularly from, from voices uh, that you may know and voices you may trust about what to boycott, what not to boycott, why to boycott. Have you, have you ever wondered if you need to boycott something, right? Like it's one thing to hear about it, but it's another to be like, okay, what's my role in this? Do I need to boycott something? Like, do I need to boycott something that's not matching my Christian values and belief? Have you ever lived in this tension of, do I need to boycott or do I not? And if so, then maybe this is the question that keeps kind of coming up and bouncing around in your soul. It's this question. When does their sin become so big, I can't participate anymore? Right? When does their sin become so big that I can't participate anymore? Right? It's a real tension that we need to navigate. And 
It's one that if you have asked this question or a version of it, I have got some really good news for you because Jesus speaks about how we are to navigate this. Right? In, in one of his um, sermons that he gave, the one that we have the most from in the book of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, I would say the most famous sermon ever given, uh, Jesus talks about all kinds of things. It is like a multi-point sermon. If I tried to do that, y'all would never come back. Right? Because he just goes from one thing to another, to another, to another, to another. And it's amazing. And in that sermon, he talks about loving your enemies, which is not what I'm going to talk about. Although that's true. Don't, don't hear me wrong on that one. He talks about loving your enemies. But he also gives this, this great piece of wisdom from God on how to navigate this tension of when their sin is so big, I just can't anymore. Right? And here's what it says. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 3. It says, when I, Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Right? Now, y'all, this is what Jesus preaches about. Right? And what I love about the Sermon on the Mount is he's giving kind of the playbook for the kingdom of God. And he's saying, y'all, this is how the kingdom of God works. It is not how the world around us works, but this is how the kingdom of God works. And that's why evangelism isn't inviting somebody to agree with you or, or convincing someone to agree with you. Evangelism is inviting people to live under this new rule of the kingdom of God. Right? And that's what Jesus is doing. He was, he's showing us this is how God's kingdom works on earth as it is in heaven. And when you see Jesus talk to his Jewish uh, people right, about someone else's sin, he says, first, you have to acknowledge your own sin. And not only first, you have to treat your own sin as much, much, much bigger than their sin, no matter what their sin is. Right? And so, so with that, with Jesus' question, here's, the, here's what we need to ask. Before, before we can boycott others, we need to ask this critical and important question, and it's this. What do I need to boycott in me? Right? Before I worry about what I need to boycott in you, whoever you are, the bigger, more prominent question is, what do I need to boycott in me? Right? During Pride Month, sexual sin is on display, right? We've, we've all seen it. And, and what Jesus is asking us to do is to look in our own soul first. Which, by the way, I think this is true. All those companies and organizations I mentioned were to be boycotted because of issues around the GLBTQ community, right? So that's why I'm kind of honing in on this. Because it's, it's all around us. And so with sexual sin, are you looking at your own life and your own heart before you look at theirs? In other words, in other words are, are you allowing porn in any way, shape, matter, or form to enter into your life and heart? And are you as diligent about boycotting that as you are Target? If not, then you're following somebody, but it's not Jesus. Right? Maybe you're tempted to have a relationship with someone other than your spouse. Right? And you're boycotting 
somebody else's sexual sin and not dealing with yours. Again, you're following somebody, but it ain't Jesus. Right? Maybe you're, maybe you're, you're tempted to let attraction move into temptation and move into sin in your own life. Right? And maybe there's this stuff stirring in your soul in regards to sexual sin. Or maybe, maybe you're sitting here and you're like, Fred, no, I'm not. I'm not. Like, I look at my life and it's pretty much in check. When I have got some bad news for you and I have got some good news for you. Right? Bad news first. The bad news is that your sin is the greatest sin of all. Because if you can look at your life and say, there's nothing here and what is here, I've got. Like, me and God have talked about it. We've dealt with it. Like, like we are good. If, if, if that's you, right, then the bad news is your sin is greater than any porn, greater than any adultery, greater than any type of sexual sin because your sin is the same sin that put Jesus on the cross. And your sin is this. It is self-righteousness. Right? Thank you for the evangelical grunt. I will receive it. <laughs> right? Your sin is the sin of self-righteousness. And here's what self-righteousness is. Self-righteousness is that your sin is worse than my sin. Right? Your sin of homosexuality is worse than my sin. I'm still in the, in the heterosexual realm. So what I do here is better than what you're doing there. Right? You see, it's the sin, self-righteousness, that allows any other person's sin to be bigger than yours. It's the sin which minimizes you and magnifies them. Right? But, but here's the good news. Because right? I told you I had bad news and good news. The good news is that this sin of self-righteousness is exactly what our passage in Ecclesiastes teaches us about today. Like, we are going to leave here, right, with a better understanding of who we are before the Lord and how God is better. God is better than us. God is better than how we see ourselves. God is better than how we see the world. God is better. Because this sin of self-righteousness is a sin that I guarantee you we all need to deal with because I deal with it in my own heart. And I know I'm not, I'm not that weird, Right? We've all got a level of self-righteousness in us, and we need to deal with that before we boycott anyone or anything. Well, let's dive into chapter 5, verse 13. It says this. It says, it says, there is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. And just so you know, like, when Solomon says, or, or the, whoever wrote it, most, a lot of people think Solomon did write it. If not, the author wanted us to think that Solomon wrote it. So I'm just going to say Solomon, all right? Because, because what happens is this term is used, this grievous evil. He uses it all the time because he's, he wants to say, like, y'all, listen, I have watched people's lives pan out over the years, and there are some ways that it just produces a miserable life. There are some choices that I have seen people make over the years that at the end of their life, they look back and they're like, that was awful. And he wants us to avoid that. And he wants us to be able to live our life in a different way. And so when he says there's this grievous evil, he's saying there is this horrible outcome out there, this horrible way of life. And that's what he wants us to avoid. He said there is a grievous evil 
that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is the father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he has come from his mother's womb, so shall he go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This is also a grievous evil. Just as he came, he shall go. And whatever gain there is to him who toils for the and, and, and what gain is there for him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness with much vexation, sickness, and anger. So I mean, that's a grievous life, isn't it? He had a bunch of wealth. This person did and lost it. He worked hard and he lost it. And y'all, what Solomon is saying is not that just he lost, he lost it in one bad deal. One bad deal. I was on a mission trip with a guy um, who uh, put all of his savings in an investment. And while we were on the mission trip, he got the word that the investment failed and he lost everything. That's a tough week, right? What Solomon is saying is this guy had lots of money and he lost it on one bad deal. But he uses the word toil, right? And in in Hebrew, what this word means is it doesn't mean just work. Like he didn't just work hard for it. He did. But his work was motivated by anxiety, control, and fear. He thought, if I don't have this money, I can't be happy. If I don't have this money, I can't provide. If I don't have this money, we don't have a life. This person worked hard, but they never enjoyed the life they had. All they did is work For anxiety, control, power, and fear. They worked so hard and sacrificed so hard in everything that they lost, sleeped over. It was all lost in one bad decision. And what he is left with at the end of his life is nothing but darkness, confusion, anger, and sickness. Because y'all know this, right? Like y'all know like anxiety actually affects your body, right? And if you live your life as an anxious life, you see the health effects of that. You see the poor health of that. And what Solomon wants us to do is is like there is a way to think about this, and it's this. It's what motivates your work is what you're left with when your work is done. Right? What motivates your work is what you're left with when your work is done. You know where I see this? In nursing homes. Right? You see these miserable people walking around. Because they've been miserable and anxious their entire life. But then, but then you see this woman coming down the hall. And it's always a woman because the guys are just dead. Right? There's very few of them. I'm serious. Like, that's the way it is. But she comes down the hall and she is visiting with people and she has got joy in her heart. You know why? Because that's what she lived her life with. And Solomon is saying, this guy that we see right here, he would be the one that you wouldn't look forward to visiting in the nursing home, right? And here's Solomon's way to avoid becoming this kind of person. Because do y'all want to avoid becoming this kind of person? Okay, three people do. All right, so the rest of you, the rest of you, we will not come visit you in the nursing home. You are miserable, and you will be miserable, and and just the nurses will pop in when they have to. So just be on guard, all right? It's your choice. All right, behold, this is what Solomon says, behold, what have I seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in, in all the toil with which one toils under the sun. 
the few days of his life that God has given him, for, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and to rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. And notice what Solomon does here. He says the solution is to enjoy life, but here's what he does. And this is what Solomon always does. He paints this bleak picture and then he goes, ah, 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 but add God into the mix. And that's what he does. Notice he mentions God, that, that your work and your toil, the way to get rid of the anxiety, the way to get rid of the, the lust for power, the, 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 the desire to control, is to remember that God has given you this life. And God has given you this work. Because without God, you're left with a miserable life. You're left with darkness. You're left with anxiety. But when you give God his proper place in our life, we get to experience joy. And then there's this added benefit in verse 20. It says, For he will not much remember the days of his life, because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. You see, if we go through life, seeing life as a gift that God has given us, seeing the work we have as the work that God has given us, and we get to have joy in God as we do the work. And work means work, right? Like toil means hard. It doesn't mean your work is, is going to be easy, right? Your work is going to be work. Your passion will be a job at some point, right? But if you see that job as it is the gift of God, Everything else falls into place, and you get to experience joy. You see, godly joy in your life gives godly joy at the end of your life, right? Godly joy in your life. Every day, every step of the way gives godly joy at the end of your life. You see, when when the guy above looks back on his life, he sees darkness and missed opportunity. He keeps thinking, gosh, if I just wouldn't have done that deal, everything would be okay. But the deal is God showing him that everything wasn't okay before the deal. And he's giving him this great opportunity to shift. And Solomon says that is an awful way to look at life. But this guy, with God in the mix... He looks back on his life and he sees nothing but joy. He remembers, he remembers the gifts that God had given him. Now Solomon is going to show us another miserable, miserable life, right? And we'll talk about self-righteousness here in a minute, I promise. We're getting to it. Verse 6, I mean chapter 6. It says, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing, of all that he desires, yet God does not give him po the power to enjoy them. But a stranger enjoys them, y'all. This is vanity, and it is a grievous evil. And so it's somebody who's worked hard, and all their money goes to somebody else, right? It's the person that sees his or her money that, that they earned going to someone else who in his or her mind hasn't earned the work, hasn't earned the benefit of the work, right? All his work, all the payoff of his work is being enjoyed by someone else. This person is outwardly wealthy, but inwardly very poor, 
right? Outwardly, he has it all, she has it all, but inwardly, she is empty and bone dry, right? Let me apply this to like a current situation. This is the person who worked their way through college because they didn't want to take a loan, Right? Their parents couldn't help them. They were on their own, and they worked their way through college. And they did it not with joy in their heart. They did it with this miserable, like, I'm going to show them attitude. Right? And so they worked every day. They worked full time while managing class. They never enjoyed what's supposed to be the best years of their life. All they did is work and go to class. Work and go to class. And they did this in, like, the 90s. You, you know, they did this in the 80s. Right? And, 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 and they, they did that and they graduated and they were like, oh, look at me, no debt. All my friends, ooh, they got loans. They're going to be paying those off for 30 years or more. And they had a ball. Well, then, then, as he gets older, as she gets older, as politicians start campaigning, he hears about college debts being paid off by the government? Well, somebody's got to pay that, is this person's response. And I'm not giving any type of commentary on whether loans should be paid off by the government or not, but what I am giving commentary on is because of the way he worked himself through college, the way she worked herself through college with a bad attitude about everyone else, not enjoying it. When that decision comes across, however it comes across, guess what this person's going to be left with? Bitterness, anger, and jealousy. Y'all, is that the way we want to live our lives? No. I know some of y'all are like, yeah, but still. Still, they don't need to do that. I worked hard. All right, let Jesus keep working. All right, all right, verse 3. Verse 3 says this. It says, um, if a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many. This is, this is Israel, ancient Israel, ancient Hebrew talk for this guy's wealthy. Lots of kids, lots of years of life, right? But his soul is not satisfied with life's good things and he also has no burial I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet, no, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to one place. Now here's what Solomon is doing. He's making a difficult comparison. And it's one that I know would be triggering to some people. It's one that I know like going, whoa, 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 whoa. What's Solomon doing here? Listen, what Solomon is not doing here is he's not giving a commentary on the suffering and heartache that's experienced when someone loses a child. Keep in mind, his parents lost their first child. Right? And he would have surely seen the heartache that comes with that. But what he's doing is he's making a comparison. You have this one person who has lived thousands of years, let's say, lots of wealth, lots of kids, everything that society says good and right and wealthy, this person has, but they never experience joy. And you know what? 
Everybody's going to go to the same place. Everybody's going to be dead at some point. Here's why the stillborn baby is better off. Because this guy got an opportunity to live life and enjoy it and didn't. This baby, this baby, right, ends in the same place. They both are empty of life, but this guy had an opportunity to enjoy it, and he didn't. That's why he is worse off, right? The child got to bypass the misery. Look at verse 7. It says, all the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And, and what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before leaving? Better is the, is the sight of his eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This is also vanity, and it is striving after the wind. And so Solomon summarizes the problem here, summarizes the problem of the miserable life. Right, this person who, is, who, is, who has worked his entire life, her entire life, and yet was never satisfied. Right? Have you ever been on one of those treadmills or, or bikes where they have a screen in front of you and make you think that you're going through the woods? Right? And Yeah, anybody ever done that? Have you ever gotten off that piece of equipment and been shocked that you were in the gym? Right? No. No. But this guy has been running on this treadmill called life, right? And he is shocked that he's not getting what he thought he would. He is shocked that food isn't satisfying to him, right? He is shocked that his life isn't filling him up. Have you ever noticed that there's always something about a boycott. Like, like you remember that game, Whack-A-Mole, right? <clears throat> um, it's the game where, usually at Chuck E. Cheese, um, is where I've seen them mostly, and you get this big, like, foam hammer, and there's all these holes in front of you, and, like, these little moles pop up, and you get a point for everyone you hit before it goes back down, and, and they keep coming up everywhere, right? And so your job is just to watch and hit, watch and hit, watch and hit. Sometimes boycotting feels like that, doesn't it? It's like just when you, you boycott this one, oh, here's another one. Oh, here's another one. Oh, here's another one. Right? Sometimes the world we live in, like, does that, doesn't it? Like, like you watch the news and you're supposed to deeply care about this one night. And then the next night you're supposed to deeply care about something else because they've moved on. Right? How do we live in that kind of world? Right? How do, we, how do we live in that kind of world and actually find joy in our day without escaping our day? Right? How do we find joy in the midst of that? You want to know how? That's what Solomon's about to show us. It's dealing with our self-righteousness. You see, our miserable life examples, right? they think they earn their money. They think they earned their way, and they never saw it as a gift from God. You see, here's how to enjoy the gift of life that God gives, and it's this in verse 10. It says, whatever has come to be has already been named. Now, here's what, here's what Solomon does, all right? So, so he's, he's referring to a time frame when everything that we see 
got its name. Does that remind you of anything? Maybe in Genesis, maybe in in Eden. It's one of the things Solomon does is he keeps calling us back to Eden, right? Let Let me explain. Genesis 2.19 says this. It says, Now out of the ground the Lord God made, I mean the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man, to Adam, to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. You see, what Solomon is doing is he's calling us back. This is how, this is how we, we don't let self-righteousness reign in our life. This is how we see life as a gift from God because he's calling us back to a time where, where God created and Adam named. He's calling us back to a time where this happened, where Adam worked with God, right? Adam worked with God. He didn't get ahead of God. He didn't get behind God. Paul talks about in the New Testament, like our job is to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Like it is is Adam working with God. And it was a pattern that was established in Genesis. God working with man and man working with God. But keeping this in mind, because this is where self-righteousness is. It says, and whatever came to be has already been named. And what is known, and, and let's see, and it is known what man is. And he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity, and, and what, is this, what is the advantage of the man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives a few days of his vain life, which, he, which passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? You see, in these verses... Solomon is letting us know that God is the strong one here, right? Without God creating, guess who can't name? Adam, right? That's the problem with self-righteousness. Self-righteousness ultimately ignores God. Self-righteousness gets these two things confused, right? Like like self-righteousness says, I don't need God. My way is better than God's way. Now, decades ago, uh, to kind of capture this, uh, I remembered um, uh, my pastor back in Texas shared this story, and it was actually in one of the commentaries that I read. And so this is, this is I'm assuming, an actual communication because, pa- you know, pastors never lie about illustrations. So I'm assuming this is, this is an actual Navy radio communication. Voice one says this. Please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid collision. Voice number two responds back. Recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid collision. Voice one says, this is the captain of a U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. Voice two says, no, I say again, you divert your course. Voice number one, this is the aircraft carrier Enterprise. We are a large warship of the U.S. Navy. You divert your course now. Voice number two says, we're a lighthouse, your call. (laughs) Right? We're a lighthouse, your call. Here's the question. Are you the lighthouse or are you the ship? Is God the lighthouse or is God the ship? 
Because what self-righteousness does is it says, I'm the lighthouse, God is the ship. What Solomon is asking us to do is to say, no, 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 God, you're the strong one. You're the lighthouse, I'm going to divert my course 15 degrees. Right? Proverbs 21.30 says this, There is no wisdom, no insight, and no plan that can succeed against, guess who? The Lord. Right? There is no plan, no wisdom, no insight that, the conce- that can succeed against the Lord. And so my question for you is, will you take Jesus at his word today? Will you see him as the strong one in your life, answering his call of an invitation to life in the kingdom, life God's way? Because believing he is the only way to be with God. And and John, another one of Jesus' teachings, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the light, and no one comes to the Father except for me. Is that your Jesus? Is he your way, your truth, and your light? If not, maybe this is your lighthouse moment. It's your call for those of us who have said yes to Jesus. Maybe it's your lighthouse moment too and how to deal with the sin around you. Do you speak up? Do you not speak up? Do you boycott? Do you not boycott? Well, well, here's the deal. I'm actually not going to tell you what to boycott and what not to boycott. But I do know two things. One, I know this. God doesn't need your boycott. He needs your heart. That's what he wants. That's first, and that's primary. And I know we can only find life when we work with Jesus. There is no other way. He is our lighthouse. And so, church, it really is your call. It's our call. Right? Because what with Jesus means is that we see our sin as greater than anybody else's sin around us. Right? Anything else is trying to bring change in the world without Jesus. And y'all, it doesn't work. But with Jesus, there's blessing. There's filling of the Holy Spirit. Church, if you're willing, I have something that I want us to declare together, right? I want us to declare that we are with Jesus And the first thing I want you to do, can you go ahead and put that slide up that I will deal with the log in my eye before I deal with the speck in theirs? I want you to turn to the person next to you or around you. If you're sitting by yourself, if you're an introvert, I'm so sorry. I should have given you a warning. But I just want you to say, I will deal with the log in my eye before I deal with the speck in yours. And if you're there with a spouse, I highly recommend y'all turn to each other and say that. Right? Go ahead, do it real quick. I will deal with the log in my eye before I deal with the speck in yours. All right, then as a church, I want us to say this together. That I will deal with the log in my eye before I deal with the speck in theirs. Are you ready? I will deal with the log in my eye before I deal with the speck in theirs. Jesus Let this be true. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right. Uh, We've got a prayer team here. And uh, that prayer team gets to hear a lot of prayers to be praying for people. And they get to hear how those prayers are answered. 
One of the things the deacons of prayer, Brian and, and uh, Janet Bridges, let us know is, man, wouldn't it be great if other people got to hear some of those answers, right? And so what we're going to do is just a few minutes. Um, I need, uh, who's up first? Jesse, you're up first. Come on up. And, and we're just going to have like a little, uh, a good old testimony time, but not an open mic time. Um, a good old testimony time. Um, and, and we have three different people that are just going to share um, how God has answered prayer in their lives. Go for it, Eugene. Hello. <clears throat> um, my name is Jesse Quigley, and I am a special ed teacher at Avery's Creek Elementary School down in the Robertson District in South Asheville. And um, ever since last summer, when I read that book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, I've been trying to eat lunch with my special ed team a couple times a week. Um, three other people, uh, one of which are followers of Jesus, and I've known them for quite some time. For my mind. Hello. Hello. Yeah. <clears throat> I've always wanted to do that. I'm sorry. <clears throat> yeah, so, now it's on, right? Hey, hello, yeah, <clears throat> so um, these other uh, three special ed teachers I've known for years, and I've been praying for them, and I've been praying for their families, and I've been praying for ways to share about Jesus, and to share in a very real, kind of natural way, kind of like you're telling somebody about a new show you found, like on PBS, there's um, Around the World in 80 Days, or um, uh, Small Creatures, oh, um, yeah. Yeah, that's the one, Small Creatures Getting Tall. So good, right? <clears throat> so I've been praying for ways to share about Jesus, and um, I'm a special ed teacher, so a large part of my job is dealing with paperwork, um, specifically managing student files that are full of doctor's reports and progress notes and parent signatures and all those things. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, in mid-May, I lost a student file. Kind of a big deal. So I start to freak out. I turn over all the stones, right? Um, I even at some point kind of took apart a filing cabinet to look under the empty spaces and moved it away from the wall, look behind it around it, nothing, nothing, nothing. So I'm getting desperate, and I tell everybody I know that might have seen the file or touched the file or know where it is, right? Um, and uh, nothing, so I finally decided to bite the bullet, and I emailed several of my supervisors that I had lost a student file, and what are my options, right? <clears throat> so um, I had sent on the email, and I've talked to all the people, I've looked at all the places, and um, now I decide to talk to God. <laughs> and so I'm like, hey, God, I know that you know where the file is. Um, but if you want me to work through what it means to lose a student file, I'm totally fine with that, right? <clears throat> but I know you know where it is, and I've told everybody to help me find this file, and they all understand what a big, hairy, messy deal it is. If you help me find this file, I'm going to have to tell them that you, God, helped me find this file. Amen, right? It's the end of the day. I go home. I don't think anything about it. Um, I'm walking into work the next day, and a coworker is walking in with me, and just real easy, they're like, hey, man, um, has that file turned up? <clears throat> so here's my moment, right, to share about God. I chicken out. It's fine. Find the file. No big deal. 
So they stop walking and they stare at me and they're like, that is awesome. What happened? I'm like, okay, take a deep breath, say a quick prayer. And I kind of tell a quick story about how I involved God in helping find this file and how I believe God helped me bring it to resolution, right? And so I get to share this story, short little story, with a couple other people that I work with who are not followers of Jesus. And um, one of the things I love about that story, one, God kept me from dealing with a big hairy mess of losing a student file, like answer to prayer, right? But two, he also answered my prayer to help with opportunities to share about how real and how involved he is in the lives of humans in a way that they were totally into what happened with my file. And you guys might not quite understand how big of a deal it was, but for me and the people I work with, like, it's a big, hairy deal. Um, so that's my story. Yeah. Thanks. Um, Jesse's taller than me. Great. Uh, my name is Brian Flagler, and I've always struggled uh, with reading my Bible on a regular basis. It just doesn't come easily to me. Um, I get in a good rhythm for a while. Maybe I'm doing a small group study, and I'm intentional about it, and then I fall away. Uh, journaling is similarly sort of hit and miss for me. I'll do it for a time, and it's great, and then it falls away. Um, but about 10 years ago, I began starting every morning with an intentional time of prayer. And that came out of a pastor in Oregon who really encouraged that practice and sort of taught us how to do it. And it's been built over the years by Matt and Fred's teaching and mentorship. And um, I do that before I look at my phone or do anything else in the morning. Sometimes it's for 10 minutes, other times it's for an hour. Um, but if I don't do that, my day starts off just completely off. Um, I start, if I don't start my day, orienting my heart in prayer. So I ask my, myself, why has this stuck with me, whereas other things have not? And I think it's two reasons. Um, I find the way that I approach the day and the stresses of decisions I need to make um, is completely different when I start putting my heart and my trust in God and I invite Jesus to guide me through my day. Um, for some reason, I have to do it every day. I wish I could pray on Monday, and that sort of covers me for the whole week, um, but it just doesn't work that way for me. Um, every day is a new day, and my approach to that day, I have found, is completely dependent on whether I start my day focused on him. The second reason is I've seen God move through prayer. Um, by move, I don't necessarily mean he gave me what I ask for in praying. Um, that's occurred, but not very often. Rather, I mean I've seen God work in a supernatural way after I fully surrender to him in prayer. And full surrender for me is the consistent key. Without that, I'm just saying I'm going to follow him. I don't actually follow him. I still hold the wheel. So, and, and the way that he moves for me is very rarely what I expect, um, but what I see always points to his glory. G the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead um, emphasizes to me that Jesus cares, it's his timing and motivation and miracles is about God's glory, not about making us comfortable. Uh, when Mary told Jesus, you could have saved my brother if you had just come earlier, 
he, his response suggests that his waiting was actually intentional, that he did it for the glory of God and that you may believe. He doesn't necessarily answer at least my prayers in the ways that I think would both best make me feel comfortable. So the story that I would share with you about seeing God move is our youngest son, Grady, and I went to the Dominican Republic with Bold Hope, and Amy led the, the group last year. And we came back and shared some stories about that. I'd like to revisit a part of it. In 2018, so four years before that, our middle son, Sam, and I went to Haiti. I prayed through that trip the whole time that God would make clear what is my purpose in being there. I'm not good swinging a hammer. I'm terrified of needles and blood in the medical clinic. Um, so God, why do you have me there? And on the bus one day, I just fully surrendered. God, this hurt that I see around me in Haiti is just breaking my heart. Um, I will do whatever you call me to do to address that. And he, he prompted me, he said that I could help, I'm a lawyer, I'm a copyright lawyer, I'm of no help to the regular person who's not in publishing or in that type of space. And what he put on my heart is that I could use my legal training in a way that could be helpful, and he put immigration on my heart. Well, I saw no way that that was going to work, but I said, okay, um, God, I'll just sort of file that away. And for the rest of that trip, I saw the joy of the gospel in Haiti, um, but I saw very little hope for the practical needs of the folks there. There was no work. There was no path out of poverty. So I came home. I tried to explore immigration law on like a pro bono basis for free, and honestly, every door was closed. So fast forward to last year, and uh, Grady and I are lined up to go to the DR. I almost wasn't able to go because I re-aggravated an old back injury, and due to some physical therapy and other things and prayer right before I left, I was able to go. So we were visiting these farming villages called Betes in the DR, and I learned that they were full of Haitian immigrants seeking a better life. 16-hour days being exploited, but they were immigrants. And the bold hope, as you know, and as you've heard from others, uh, pursues a strategy of teaching English and Spanish, of teaching the gospel, uh, and helping moms and their kids get their documentation. So these are Haitian immigrants in the Dominican Republic who need their documentation in order for a kid to go to high school in the Dominican Republic. They have to have their documentation. And in order to be able to get a job in the Dominican Republic, you have to have your documentation outside of the Betes. So there I met a lawyer, Epiphania, who is leading a team of attorneys doing this work. And it struck me, honestly, it took my breath away, that this is the immigration that God had put on my heart, that these Haitian immigrants in the DR were looking for help. She was helping them. And it was years later, it, I realized her name is actually very close to Epiphany. Um, which is what I think I had there. Uh, so Epiphania has even been called to Washington, D.C. to uh, testify to Congress about addressing conditions in the sugarcane plantations. And um, so I've concluded that my immigration work is sharing this vision of what she's doing and what this team of lawyers are doing in the DR 
uh, with other lawyers in the U.S. who can help fund it. Um, so we have, I don't know if we were able to put up a slide. Uh, Bold Hopes created a, um, a website and a special fund. Um, we've, we've put a seed amount in that fund and uh, actually created business cards so that uh, we can help encourage folks to donate to this cause uh, and to this nonprofit law firm in the DR that is helping Haitians get their documentation to be able to go to high school, to be able to get a job in what is a thriving tourism economy in the Dominican Republic. And in October, I'll go to the Christian Legal Society meeting in Boston with a bunch of business cards um, that have QR codes that point to that website and encourage lawyers in the U.S. to help fund this effort. When I prayed in, God for God, in Haiti for God to guide me to find my place, he didn't immediately solve the problems. Um, he, in fact, since 2018, Haiti's devolved into more chaos in a lot of different ways. Um, but he drew me closer to him, and he showed me that the work he's doing in Bold Hope um, is work for his glory, and now I get to see a small way that I can be involved in that. So, thanks. That is really tall. AJ, we'll get it back for you in a minute. Um, so my name's Amy. I get to be the Connections Director here at Fellowship. So you heard my name a little bit through Brian. Um, and if you're interested in Bold Hope and what that means, please talk to me later. But what I want to do now is continue with this how have we seen God show up through prayer. Um, so part of what we have here on staff and as our church is something called our pre Present Future Vision Statement. Um, I will tell you how to find that after, um, at the end, but I want to highlight one part about that vision statement, present future vision statement, that we've been praying through, and when I say we, I say Fred and I especially, um, but I'm sure other elders and staff have prayed through that as well, but there's one piece in that that relates to my role um, because I get to oversee this facility. Um, so that piece says, our facilities are used by like-minded organizations who serve the cities more than they are used by our church members. Our buildings have a constant buzz of people coming and going through its doors. Uh, maybe you've heard that before, maybe you haven't. Um, but what I get to do is kind of steward what God has given us through this building. Um, and that means having outside organizations, outside community organizations use the building throughout the week. Uh, we currently have 10 organizations that use it on a consistent basis. But there's one in particular I want to talk to you about today. Um, so in that one being Narcotics Anonymous. Um, so think way back before COVID, if you can, in the late 2019, um, it's kind of when I came under this role of helping steward our building, and that's when Fred and I began to just really pray through this particular piece. Um, and with it, it was like, you know, what do we see? What do we see our community might need? Um, and just pre-COVID and even post-COVID now was there's a lot of addiction in our community. Um, and we really felt and kept praying through, like, Lord, can you use this building to meet that need, to provide a safe space for people to find hope, healing, and restoration? Um, so that was our prayer. That started in fall of 2019. So then in January of 2020, I realized one of my friends is part of um, Naranon. So if you're unfamiliar with Naranon, that's for people who aren't addicts, but they're in relationship with those who are. So I was talking to her and I said, hey, do you have any groups that are looking for space? And she's like, no, not yet, um, but I'll keep that in mind. Like, thanks so much for even thinking about that. 
And then COVID happened, right? Like the world hit, we had to close everything. And I'm like, Jesus, how are you really going to work through this when we have to close our doors? Um, so what I didn't know through that waiting time is he was working on something way behind the scenes. Um, because even through that, we were reaching out to NA, to AA, to anything we could, just because we really felt that this community needed a safe space. Um, So then, you know, fast forward to June 2021. So a theme that I hear in all this is there's a little bit of waiting sometimes that Jesus wants us to do, and I think that's probably more for me than it is for him, just to kind of prune our hearts to doing what his will is. But in June 2021, that Naranon group reached back out, and I was like, okay, this is it, this is it. Guys, it wasn't it. Um, They found a different space that was closer to a different location, a different area than Oakley, and that's okay. So I'm like, all right, here we go. Let's just keep praying. Um, So then fast forward to 2022. So think of the timeline, 2019 to 2022. I get a call from Narcotics Anonymous, and they've got a group of 10 folks being like, we just need a tiny space. Can we do it? I'm like, yes, absolutely. Like, hands down, yes, let's do wink, wink, wink. Um, So there's been a group um, of male and female, all sorts, um, meeting here on Tuesday nights, every night, every Tuesday. Um, And that group has grown from 10 to over 60 plus. Um, So it's gone from being in one of our elementary classrooms and then one night I was here and I walked by and I'm like, how are y'all all in that room? There was 40 plus people. I'm like, fire code, please don't come in. Um, So I'm like, okay, immediately we got to move you. So, but it was awesome just to see like how God had been pruning our hearts and prepping our hearts for this to happen. Um, Fast forward a little bit later, um, there was a different group who knew of someone who was at that Tuesday meeting and she was looking for a place for a women's group um, because sometimes it's great to have males, sometimes it's great to have females, sometimes it's great to have all of us. And she's like, I really need a space for these women to come together. I've talked to 13 different places and they've all said no. Like I've heard you guys, you are the church that says yes. And I'm like, yeah, we are. Um, So even sharing our testimony and what we do in and through this building and how it's through the love of Jesus, um, that started. And so that was September of 2022. Um, So God is really using um, us in Bold Hope in the Dominican Republic. They're using us across the street in Oakley. But I really wanted y'all to know that like God is using this building to really touch the lives of people. Um, They're seeing Jesus in a way that's different than worship service. They're seeing the love and through the actions of us just saying yes and submitting to the Lord and what he wants this building to do. Um, So that is my story and I'm glad I got to share that with you. So if you will, go in and stand up. I'm going to pray for us, and then the worship team's going to come on up and get ready. Um, But let me pray, just to thank God for all he's doing. Um, Lord, thank you so much that you're not just this person we made up and kind of dream up and just talk to, but you literally are the sovereign God. Um, God, thank you that we can speak to you, that we can pray to you, and Jesus, that you're with us um, through all of it that you answer prayers of finding file folders that we can't find, and you answer prayers of why you put immigration on people's hearts, and you answer prayers of using this building, this facility, um, for your purposes. And God, I know there's probably a hundred other stories in this room and out there on Facebook and online and podcast. So God, just thank you for your faithfulness. Um, Thank you for being a God that we can commune with. Um, Yeah, thanks that we get to worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I told you guys that I would tell you about that present future. If you're curious about what that is, it's on our website, fellowshipastral.com slash about. Scroll down, and you can read all of that because there's all it covers a ton of different issues.
different things that we're dreaming up.